Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review, the show about the musicians we're obsessed with and the albums you need to know right now. I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Editor. Pooja is taking a much-needed week off, so I've got the keys and I'm going to drive it like I stole it. Today, we are going to talk about the albums that meant a lot to us, but did not make it onto Pitchfork's year-end list. Uh, We're going to be talking about some London noise rock, some Virginia mushroom raps, Live jazz, some twee prog, some queer pop, everything with senior editor Anna Gatza and contributing editor Phil Sherburn, who have brought their top overlooked albums. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hi, Jeremy. We have a lot of big artists that take up a lot of oxygen on the best of year list. And yet there's a lot of incredibly creative and really great music happening. So this is our effort to shine a spotlight on some lesser known albums. The first one I do want to talk about is this rapper Silk Money, and the record is called I Don't Give a Fuck About This Rap Shit, I'ma Just Drop Until I Don't Feel Like It Anymore. Now, that's an amazing record title. Professor Dodeck, I'd have been lost my mind for some time. I confess my profession, mental health neglected. Travel back to the year 555, like retrospective with a second weapon. Initializing transmission. The photon cannon managed to vanish. Niggas arrive with their missing. Bitch, pay attention, because this shit costs too you much. Fucked up, couldn't flip it. You niggas bought too much. Empire can suck my motherfucking dick for the ticket they offered us. Silk Money is a rapper from Virginia. He used to be in the sort of Richmond-based rap group Divine Council. He did a song with Andre 3000, but he's been releasing mixtapes with similarly long titles. For example, one of them is called Get the Fuck Off My Dick, colon, There's Not Enough Room for All You Motherfuckers to Be On It Like This. Um, <laughs> another album he has is called I Hate My Life and I Really Wish People Would Stop Telling Me Not To. But mostly Silk Money likes dealing and smoking weed. And now, sort of with this album, he sort of moved into mushrooms because one of the songs is called I Just Ate 14 Grams of Mushrooms and Boy Oh Boy. It's the phonemic orthography, writing words as they sound and spelling out what my ancestors endowed with me. Since I ate that half ounce, I just can't get an ounce of sleep, but I can get a pound of weed and file a complaint what I found to see. Fuck Johnny Dang. Just hang a brick of damn teeth from my keychain. I hope a nigga snatches so he can unlock the teachings I speak vain. Did you guys listen? You guys listened to this album, right? Phil, you really, you really yeah, like this, right? I mean, I think the idea of, I, I don't know how much 14 grams of mushrooms is. It sounds like a lot, but it's a I, lot. I think like doing one gram of mushroom and listening to this album would be more than I could take. I really like this album. It's funny. It's brash. It's like anti-industry. He's got a chip on his shoulder, but he's kind of cool about it. When I listened to this album, the one word that came to me was finally, right? It just was like, this is like what I had been looking for. And I feel like he's feeling like a vacuum in rap right now. That is, it sounds kind of like a lot of the great Southern rap from the 90s and 2000s. 
but I think like he's I think he's doing something really funny and interesting with it. So I definitely like recommend Silk Money's. I don't give a fuck about this rap shit. I'm gonna just drop until I don't feel like it anymore. That is my first pick. Anna, what is yours? So I wanted to talk about this mixtape from the New York City rapper Jungle Pussy. This tape is called JP5000. It's sort of a reference to being kind of the fifth entry in her catalog. And it's really short. It's only five songs, 12 minutes long. So you don't need to dedicate a lot of time to it necessarily. But you could because what I love about her writing and her rapping is the way that she sounds so casual. She makes it sound really offhand. She'll start a story like on the song Foreign Exchange. She's talking about going to a foreign exchange concert with a date and she just starts right there like in media res you're at the show a very special day a very special date highline ballroom 2008 we saw foreign exchange you ordered us chicken wings and tipped for and change we was just city kids with immaculate taste also from how she tells the story you can tell that she's been thinking about this ever since and that she is really reflected on this from all angles and how her understanding has changed over time from the excitement around going to this show and like having a fun time to it turns out this guy's not a good date. She says um, he just wanted Jimmy Neutron, meaning he just wanted head because Jimmy Neutron, the cartoon character, has a huge head. Um, but he's like, he's just using her. It does feel like sort of a transitional moment for her, if only because it is so compact. You can tell years of her experience have been pressed down into this just five tracks and it kind of covers a realm of experience from flexing to talking about this bad date who let her down to like in the next song she gets some good sex and you're like you know we're rooting for her we on a sacred schedule everything will be legible everything on you I really like the quality of her voice on this record. It's kind of the opposite of Silk Money. You know, Silk Money is yelling at you the whole time. Uh-huh. And Jungle Pussy, she's got this really like low key measured and EP is a perfect length because you can just kind of sit with her for this compact amount of time. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very easy to listen to. Phil, that's a good transition into your pick. Yeah, I want to talk about this album, Conduit by Kobe Say. He's from Lewisham, South London. He's put out a handful of left-field electronic releases until now. I'd always thought of Kobe Say really in the context of dance music because his most significant releases until now have come out on AD 93, formerly known as Whitey's, which is sort of a club-adjacent label. But Conduit, which is essentially his debut album and is also on AD 93, is, is really different. He, he raps on it, for one thing. His voice mm-hmm. is the first thing you hear on the record. And then the production is is a mix of like post-punk, industrial dub, instrumental hip-hop. In places, it reminds me of RZA's great Ghost Dog soundtrack. It has that same air of desolation to it. In places, it reminds me of The Bug. It has this really heavy bass that sort of swamps and devours everything. I listen to this album and I imagine like speaker stacks burning down. The whole thing is really dissonant and sprawling. One of the best songs, Response, is a 10-minute sort of free improv dub jam with rap over the top that came out of a studio improv he did. See the back of me, you would rather leave. See the back of me and walk off discreetly. 
No one's perfect, let's be clear on this and unfold in a call quits, 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 start, hand clutch, pay no mind. Yeah, it's just a, a fascinating and and very unusual record. There's something very dystopic about it. It's it's woozy. I mean, where are you when you're listening to this album? Like, are you kind of just like sitting around, kind of staring out the window? Are you going for walks? Like, where are you putting this on? And like, what is it doing to you? Yeah, I'm listening at home. I've listened to the car a little bit, but really at home in my office. And yeah, kind of woozy. I mean, there's a political dimension to it. He's talked um, in interviews. He's from Lewisham, South London. It's a multicultural neighborhood that's seen a lot of organized resistance to racism and right wing politics. He's talked about uh, members of his family that. Have been involved in kind of left-wing and anti-fascist struggles, but the lyrics are really more, less political than they are sort of impressionistic, and his voice has mm. this really hypnotic quality to it, so it makes it easy to get into that kind of woozy vibe. I saw him play in a quartet formation, I think it was, or a trio this fall. Saxophonist Ben Vince was one of the players, and it was fascinating because it was totally different from the album. Everybody was switching instruments from song to song. There was guitar and drums and electronic, and they would lock into these really long, turbulent jams that, that was more like a noise show than, oh, wow. than anything electronic. It was really, really cool. I'm going to take the idea of long jams and use that <laughs> as a way to talk about the opposite of that with my sort of number two album that I'm going to bring in here. It's this band called Fievel is Gloak, and their album is called Flaming Swords. Now, Fievel is Gloak is a duo, sort of. It's sort of mainly founded by this guy, Zach Phillips, who started this record label in New York called OSR Tapes. But uh, he started this group with this Belgian singer named Ma Clement. And Zach Phillips is sort of this fastidious music theory, nerdy, voracious absorber of music. Ma Clement is sort of more of an autodidact. You know, she went to school for like nursing and architecture, but they they formed up together and they created this band, Fievel is Gloak. And it's like sort of jazz. I, so, someone talked about it with us and they called it Twee Prog, right? And that was sort of like a micro genre from... Uh, 10, 15 years ago. And that's kind of reductive for what it is, but it is very sprightly. It is. It, it has a lot of sort of tight winding rhythms. I kind of liken it to kind of chasing the songs like through a very small maze that like mice and rats go through. Like that's kind of what it feels like listening to Fievel is Cloak. Out of the order, the wonderful border appears when the functions Do you like Fiery Furnaces? Do you like Frank Zappa? I think you might really enjoy this album. Have you guys listened to this? What did you guys think about Fievel is Gloak? I do love the Fiery Furnaces. Fievel is Gloak is an incredibly acquired taste. <laughs> yeah. I would yeah. see by my by my second or third time listening to that album, I was starting starting to catch the disease. <laughs> I I I was incredibly turned off when I first put it on. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not I'm not going to listen to this whole thing. I'm happy for you or I'm sorry that happened, but I'm not going to listen to that. But then it kind of clicked and I got into the sort of like Steely Dan meets Stereolab vibe of it and I can actually see returning right. to it now. 
The nice thing is that every song is basically two minutes long. So you know what they say, if you don't like the weather on uh, Flaming Swords by Five Is Cloak, just wait two minutes, you know, and it will change. The, I do want to recommend, though, the, the final song, which is their longest song at four minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, it's a great song called Clues Not to Read. And I think that sort of lets all of the many musicians on this record sort of play a little bit more and kind of jam a little bit more. And he's kind of can get a taste for how melodic and instinctual the playing is on this record. That's my number two record. Anna, what's your number two record here? So I want to talk about another album that I that I encountered through my colleagues here at Pitchfork. They tell me about so much great music. And this is the band called Shake Chain and their album, which is called Snake Chain. Shake Chain with an album called Snake Chain. A beguiling combination of names, an SEO I feel. fail. <laughs> Love it. So Shake Chain are a four-piece band from London, and their singer is called Kate Mahoney. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all know about like wordless lyrics or wordless choruses, your your la-la-las and hey hey hey's and so forth. And what we got in Snake Chain is like, what's your favorite screaming and crying and throwing up? And there's so <laughs> many, there's so many songs where I think there are lyrics. I think they're in English. You'd be lucky to catch a word here and there. So it sounds so cursed. She's just, she's shrieking. She's quivering. She's on the verge of tears. She's actively sobbing. And the whole time the music is like these raw, messy, like garage rock punk explosive. It sounds really cheap. It sounds like you just lit off like 40 boxes of like, you know, fire trucks that fell, fell off the back of a truck. I, I just love it. It's like, it's so intense. It's this vision of a world that is so ominous. There's no way to react except by just like howling and sobbing. And it's so shambolic. There's some synths on it too, but every time you hear a synth, it's like the cheapest type of synth that sounds like a sci-fi sound effect. The overall atmosphere of it is just really kind of unlike anything else, maybe outside of metal. It reminds me of Diamanda Glass, like if she was like... <laughs> fronting like a no wave band the the vocals are definitely like a i would also say like an acquired taste but to me like when putting this album i was actually sitting at the office and i just like cranked this album up really loud through our speakers in our listening room and i I highly recommend listening to this album just like super loud because i don't think it will make sense any other way you know what i mean like this needs to it needs to hurt you a little bit and i think like in that hurt like that's where that pleasure comes in that's my take on Shake Chain and their album Snake Chain. I feel like the, the naming of that is like typo core, you know? Like, <laughs> it is typo core. <laughs> Phil, tell me about your next record, which is, I, I'm going to say, the polar opposite of Shake Chain. Yeah, I, it's definitely the polar opposite. Sophie Birch and Antonina Novatska, their album Langoria, is, it's definitely my favorite ambient album of the year. 
Sophie Birch is a Danish ambient musician that we've covered a few times on Pitchfork. And then Antonina Novatska is a Polish singer and experimental musician who I didn't know until last year. This recording is based on a collaboration that they did last year uh, for the first time at Warsaw's Ephemera Festival and then at Unsound in Krakow. And I was at the Unsound mm. show and it was one of the highlights of the festival. Um, and Antonina's voice is just, it's unreal. It's, it's very high and thin. She has this very quick almost sort of nervous vibrato. For long periods, she would stand there completely silent. She did this thing, I, I, I wrote about it in my review, and I, I, cause I, I, every time I listen, I see this. She did this thing with her hands, sort of holding them in front of her, kind of caressing one hand with the other. It looked almost like she was sewing with an invisible needle and thread. And so imagine this very soft, gentle, tranquil, ambient music. I think there was some bird song involved overlaid with what sounds essentially like the voice of an actual angel. And that is what mm. Sophie Birch and Antonina Novatska do. And this recording is their studio version of what they did in performance. And it's, it's just gorgeous. If you were going to start with a track, I'd recommend Morning Room One, which is where you really get the feeling of Antonina's voice in full. Just one of the most unusual records I've heard this year, and just for me, an instant ambient classic. That's a great way to uh, put a little pause in uh, talking about our records. When we come back, we're going to each talk about our number one overlooked records of the year. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, we are back here with our top albums of the year, colon, overlooked category. Anna, what is your number one overlooked album of the year for you personally? This is technically a big album because it is a major label release by the heir to the Macy's fortune, produced by Mark Ronson. Ha ha ha. Yes, I'm talking about King Princesses. <laughs> Hold on, baby. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. So, you know, if you want to continue to overlook it, I have no doubt that King Princess will be okay without your help. But I do think there are people outside of her existing audience who would really like it as well. It's got kind of a grunge pop vibe to it, which is something that's been, you know, really popular the last couple of years with our soccer mommies and so forth. She also has Dust Brothers producing on this in addition to Mark Ronson and a couple of other people. So it's got a lot of like unexpected organic texture. And I find her songwriting really endearing. She loves like a hook that's a little bit weird. She has sort of this defeatist attitude overall throughout the whole record that is very fun and appealing to me. It's basically songs about love and kind of figuring out who you are as a person. 
I really, really love the opening track, which is called I Hate Myself, I Wanna Party. I hate myself, I wanna party And pretend that I'm a part of something But instead I watch TV Fuck my girl, check my phone, babe PS5, change my shirt and drink alone Kind of just puts it all out there, She's right there. She's got to get together with Silk Money. <laughs> <laughs> Such a fun song. I love the hook part to this song where she sort of just describes like an average day and is sort of talking about being in quarantine. It's just like, PS5, check my phone. That's the lyrics. A little bit of a 1975 vibe to that with the being very online all the time. Pro gamer song, too. Pro ga- if you're a, a gamer. pro gamer song. A pro gamer song. Mm-hmm. I love at the end of that track when she says, I don't want to live like that and I know it's my track. <laughs> Which is just, it doesn't, like, it really is like that sometimes. Sometimes you realize that the life that you are living and the art that you are making is just the total opposite of the life and the art that you want. It's so frustrating. And it's like that core of angst to this album. I was kind of wondering, like, does that make it a coming of age album exclusively? But no one ever finishes growing up. Just accept that part of you is still that inner teenager. And it probably kind of sounds like King Princess. So if you like Be a Badoobie or Haim or like if you can imagine if Taylor Swift was online in an ironic way, I think all of those things <laughs> would make you like prime King Princess fan material. Phil, what's your what's your top album here? A caveat here, maybe sort of like King Princess. I fully expect this artist to be huge, probably not in a King Princess way, but certainly within the like experimental sphere is Mabe Frati. She is a Guatemalan born artist who's based in Mexico now. She's a cellist, a songwriter, a singer. She's been recording since 2019. She's done like three albums since then, including this year's Seve Desde Aquí, which is her newest album. It's hard to describe what she does. I mean, she's She's a songwriter, but also an experimental musician. She reminds me in places of Arthur Russell and Kate Bush, mm-hmm. both for her melodic choices and also her sort of counterintuitive instincts. Her music can be very, it can it can tug at the heartstrings. And I think her first two albums did quite a bit. But what I love about this new record is she really leans into the experimental end of things. And so she's backed up by a number of collaborators. She's got electronics and violin and drums and sax and guitar, in addition to her own cello. The way she plays her cello, it can be very kind of bracing, quite noisy. It reminds me of John Cale's viola in the Velvet Underground sometimes. Mm. But then she writes these incredibly sweet, beautiful songs, again, heartstring tugging around this quite experimental framework. She's got a really nice way of writing lyrics. Her lyrics are things like, Cada músculo tiene una voz. Every muscle has a voice. Cae el sudor a la tierra extiende sus alas. Sweat falls to the ground and extends its wings. They're very, very strong images, and they really draw you into her world. You know, you wrote in your review that there's not a lot of, like, electronic processing on this record. Like, would you describe it as, like, a chamber kind of, like, an experimental, like, chamber orchestra-like sound here? Like, what sort of, yeah, like, a... I th- I think that's fair. I mean, Chamber meets kind of free improv. You know, Mm. she said that she tried whenever possible not to 
layer multiple instances of a single instrument. So when you hear her cello, for the most part, it's just the one cello. That spoke to me when I was when I was like a kid and I was into punk. I went through this thing where I was like, man, like overdubs are bullshit. Multi-tracking is bullshit. The only real music <laughs> is like live in the studio, one track per instrument. And eventually I got over that. But I do think there is some of that purism to this record in a non-fusty way that that connects on a musical level. There's a patina of truth there, right? As yeah. in like, what you're hearing is what is coming out of these humans unadorned and, and like without the trappings of like processing and all of that. And I think when you connect to that through punk and hardcore, you feel closer to the music itself. And sometimes the more processing, the more production, the further you are away from like the center of the music. And I think that's what I like so much about this album. It feels like it feels like it's surrounding you, right? Like you like it yeah. sort of it sort of like takes you over because you're you become so close to it. And I will sort of take that and talk about like one of my favorite records of the year. And it's Jeff Parker's Mondays at the Enfield Tennis Academy. Now, Jeff Parker is the longtime guitarist for uh, the Chicago sort of experimental rock band Tortoise. But to really sort of grab onto the context of this album and why it's so good is you got to go back to 2021 when Jeff Parker put out this album called Four Folks, put it out on this uh, great label out of Chicago called International Anthem. And it's a record that is just basically Jeff Parker and his guitar. It's mostly acoustic, some electronic, but it's a very spare solo record. But then this year he puts out this live record and it's Jeff Parker, Jay Belaros on drums, Anna Butters on bass, and Josh Johnson on saxophone. And it has a very quiet vibe to it as well. But what I love most about this record is that it really sort of gets into these sort of like psychedelic spiritual rhythms and repetitions, and you sort of don't know it. And they all start kind of playing off each other and playing off each other. And then all of a sudden, like the tape of the record will start to like warp and bend. And you'll sort of be taken out of this entire idea that you're listening to a live set of something. Or a saxophone will start playing this riff. The like repeated riff will sort of morph into this sort of synthesizer type thing and it sounds like it's like someone's messing with like in our like the pitches and tones on an arpeggiator but it's just like Josh Johnson playing a saxophone There are all these little fun psychedelic moments in this record, and it is one of my favorite moments like this year is like sitting around in my living room and and just putting on this record and just trying to do nothing, think nothing and feel nothing other than hear these people play. And I, if, if that sounds like something that you want to do. I highly recommend this record. Yeah, it's one of my favorite records this year. As soon as I got it, it just went into heavy, heavy rotation. Like you in the living room. I mean, I have a playlist I keep in my laptop that I call Living Room Music, and it just went straight to the top of that. Wow, <laughs> we did it. That was 2022. What do you think this year is going to be about? I've got a darker prediction for you. Okay. We've already got holograms of deceased artists. We've got more posthumous albums than anybody has ever wanted or needed. The next step is going to be not only did we mine the Prince vaults and release it all, but we oh ran God. it through a neural net 
And now we've got a new Prince album. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> I think you're right. And that's just horrifying. Phil, what's what's a micro trend that you think that you hope has a resurgence this year? You know what? I think micro is right because I, I feel like minimal techno is coming back. Maybe this is just like wishful thinking on my part. I keep hearing little bits and pieces of it coming back and it sounds kind of good to me. So, you know, 20 years later, I think it's right on time. Minimal techno, fake Prince albums. You heard it here. Phil, Anna, thank you both so much. I had a blast. I love talking about music with you guys. I love hearing what you love. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah, thank you too. Review is a production of Condé Nast. Thanks to Anna Gatza and Phil Sherburn. You can follow Anna at Twee as Fuck and Phil at Philip Sherburn on Twitter. You can also read all of their latest reviews at pitchfork.com. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Jeremy Larson. Thanks for listening. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.